the porpoise uh we're back at it on episode 14 now uh this week we're talking a movie uh steve has not seen previously a little rare gem called the battery from 2012 you got your host jim g baby uh joined as always by the usual suspect steve how are you friend great friend good to see you again (laughs) Likewise, as always, how are, how are you doing? I'm doing good. It's like a total side note. You know the beginning of Super Troopers when he like eats all the weed and the shrooms? Mm-hmm. And he's like, oh man, you must have eaten like a hundred bucks worth of pot or whatever. And he holds up the bags and he's like, call Guinness. <laughs> Did, I, I never realized what he was saying was call Guinness. Like Guinness, like Guinness World Record. Yeah. <laughs> and like Josh and I were we were joking about that movie the other day and he's like, call Guinness. And it finally clicked. I'm like, I've seen that movie a hundred thousand times. <laughs> and it like never crossed my mind what he was saying, or that's what he was saying. <laughs> <laughs> Anytime. Uh, okay. So the battery from 2012, um, I picked this uh, for you to watch because it is criminally underseen and well hold up uh we're gonna be spoiling the shit out of this so if you haven't seen it i highly recommend it um stop it, it check it out it's free on tubi uh freebie which is on all amazon devices it's it's the uh rebranded um it's the new imd imdb tv uh, that was pretty short-lived but it's the same thing follows the tubi model free streaming with the ads um and you can also rent it uh via any streaming like amazon google play youtube all that voodoo all that good stuff for a buck or two uh well worth the investment uh my opinion so uh anyway with that aside uh check this out um or not um so the battery uh to me it's just it's a great example of a genre film you know that transcends the main theme so we're in a zombie apocalypse movie right but it it really sticks out to me because it it just feels very realistic um just the interplay of our two main characters um we have ben uh who's played by jeremy gardner who i'm a big fan of um he also served as the writer produ- producer director um and uh as he does with uh a lot of his projects and uh our other character mickey uh played by adam adam kronheim uh who has also worked with jeremy gardner on a bunch of other projects together so um but yeah like these two like i i can very easily buy this as how you know this odd couple finds themselves navigating this new world but um yeah it's just it's a really deep cut uh, I, I think deserves some more love and and i'm really curious to hear your take on it um so without further ado uh sixty four thousand dollar question to you scuba steve great film or the greatest film 
I'd say it was kind of in between. Like, I, I definitely got more respect for it after reading more about it, after watching it. Um, just for some of the, the details about the making of it that we can get into in a little bit. But uh, I really liked the beginning. And I started to, to lose a little interest in the last probably quarter of it. Mm-hmm. You know, like the when they're when they're stuck in the car for so long, I was like, okay, this we really need to wrap this up. Yeah, that but part. Pretty, <clears throat> that part really with this last watch for me, drug for me the most. The last quarter. Yeah, but say. I mean, everything up until then, I I really liked. I I wouldn't I wouldn't criticize things anything too harshly. There, I'm glad they they address the the headphone thing pretty early on because after like five or ten minutes i'm like what the fuck is this guy doing what the fuck do you think he does <laughs> it was but but pretty much right around the time i was like this is this is idiotic that this person would be doing this is when his buddy was like hey dipshit you know so i was like okay that's cool you know i i can live with that but i like the soundtrack a lot yeah, i thought they it was, was... It, it gave it a different kind of feel it wasn't just like a spooky war on the run the whole time it was almost like watching a, a long shins music video or something <laughs> but i like i like the uh the feel and and kind of the same way when we watched uh near dark how they didn't beat over your head this this these are vampires this is about vampires right they didn't really they didn't even really mention anything about zombies until the last little bit mm-hmm. so that was cool because it was just it's Everyone can infer what you're looking at. You don't need to belabor the point too hard. And I don't I don't really have a problem with movies that don't give too much backstory. I kind of like that you're just sort of picking it up in the middle and trying to put the pieces together, moving backwards and just kind of like, wow, this is weird. I wonder what happened, you know. Mm-hmm. But but that coupled with not really knowing how it ends was a little irritating for me. It's like, well, please just give me one or the other, you know. Yeah, but, yeah. I think it's a, probably a constraint of the making of the film, and um, that probably directly cont- contributed to like that was probably the best way they could have ended it, being like an indie kind of shoestring. Like you can't have a big, huge climax, and yeah, I don't even know how you would end it other than just yeah. I mean, because I mean that kind of world there really no is no ending for that dude it's like he's going to be doing the same thing he's not going to find like some shining castle on the sea that's like you know like there's no happy ending there like getting away from all the shit but maybe they could have like if he would have killed himself out of like guilt or you know if he would have gone he could have gone down like guns blazing kind of is the only way other way i can think of off i mean they could have been setting it up for a sequel (laughs) because i Because the way they cut it with the credits too, like you think it's over, and, it keeps and then going. they they play the credits for a second, and then they play like another scene, so it definitely keeps you in, uh, in waiting for. And then when it finally ends, it's like, oh, this would be such a great way to go into a sequel where, well, now it's not a survival story; it's like a revenge story, right. which I thought would be cool. Uh, yeah, I think maybe if this were a bigger and it weren't like an indie kind of project, yeah. that that would have been more realistic. But yeah, for these guys, like I think it was just like 
one and done kind of thing. Yeah. Um, but I, I did like it. Sweet. I thought it had a very, it, it had a very unique sort of feeling to it as far as zombie movies go. So it wasn't just like, okay, yep. That's just another, it's just another story of people running. Yeah. Yeah. I liked that a lot about it too. And you brought up the soundtrack. That's like, I, I always liked that, but in this last watch, when I actually sat and paid attention, made notes along the way, like obviously soundtrack jumped out to me big time. A lot of kind of like indie kind of shit that I shouldn't oh, yeah. normally like, or that I wouldn't, but I, I feel like every, almost every song fits perfectly in the context of this film and like the season where they're at geographically and like they're going through the woods and kind of reminded me of like camp, you know, kind of like going through summer camp, going around an adventure. Um, but I like to, they did a couple tricks, which I was impressed with, with such a low budget and such an indie fl- film uh, is there's a couple parts where there's, you know, the soundtrack going on. It's like a little mini montage and like someone's doing something and uh, Mickey has his headphones on. Mm-hmm. And then the other dude would be like, Hey, and you could hear him like muffled. And then, so the, the soundtrack would sync up. So it's like, you're hearing, it's like you have headphones on right now with Mickey and he go and mm-hmm. he takes them off and he goes, what? And then the music also, it, it cut down, like it died down. Like you were listening through what he was hearing. I noticed that in a couple oh. of scenes that I thought was really cool. How they, like, from a technical standpoint. Yeah, that is like, cool. I, I guess I didn't really notice that. I, I mean, I've seen this a couple times and I already really liked it. So I was, I was kind of when I, while I was watching it, I was kind of going with a fine tooth comb on, on things, good and bad that I was trying to pick out about it. But, um, yeah, soundtrack is top notch. Uh, it is. I, I like. I'm. I'm of two minds about all the little montages. I feel like they use that as a crutch a lot because again, I'll, I'll be saying this again, a bunch, probably like super low budget indie film. I think they pulled it off. They did a really good job, but you know, they're pretty green, not a ton of, these are young people. So it's not a ton of experience going into it. So I feel like this, they, they had quite a few montages throughout the film, like of them, like, you know, no one's speaking and like the sound is just focused on the soundtrack and you can't hear what they're doing, but they're like, you know, he's throwing out a line to fish. They're going, they're kind of ransacking, like gently, gently ransacking a house for supplies and stuff. And it just shows them doing that. I feel like that was sprinkled in a little bit too much for my liking. Like they leaned on that, uh, that method, but Mm. I also understand like it makes sense. Like, and two, I think, get to get this out of the way this movie was only made for how much do you think this was made for well th- that's one of the things when i looked it up I, 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 I almost yeah i looked it up oh, uh, and I, I couldn't believe i mean the number i saw was six thousand dollars yeah he needs some milk that's, that's insane yeah i mean yeah, so they must directed, have all worked you've seen direct to dvd and straight to cable shit that's got to have more than $6,000 of funding and they're absolute garbage dog shit, you know? Yeah. I Well, I can't remember when the Blair Witch came out and people were just losing their absolute mind over how cheaply that was made for. And wasn't that like 50000 or something like that? Which is... I want to say it's thirty, but it could very well could have been fifty. It was somewhere for sure under $100,000. I know that. 
and I yeah. think it's between like thirty and fifty. Yeah, it was. It's got like the biggest return on investment, like of all time. Like it beats Star Wars and all that sure. other shit. But yeah, that was very shoes. Yeah. Also, six six thousand dollars is such a small amount of money. I, I bet like twenty five percent of that could have been the camera. You know, yeah. I can't imagine they paid the actors anything. I yeah. saw that they bought that car, that car for six hundred bucks. <laughs> yeah, that I don't long ass Volvo. Yeah, I don't, I don't know how that's possible to make it on such a small amount of money. So, yeah, that that definitely was impressive. Looking back on it, because when like when the movie first ended, I was like, it's okay, you know, it was fine. <laughs> but then, kind of like almost every other movie we've talked about, the longer it goes, my opinion will either go up or down. As mm-hmm. as time goes on, you know, like as I kind of think about it more and more. Uh, but this one definitely went up, especially after learning the main guy or one of the two main guys, Ben, wrote it, directed it, you know, did like everything involved. Yeah, yeah he's kind of an interesting character in himself, in and of himself. The uh, He's done a few pictures where he's wore many hats and uh he just came out with a bigger one that got a, that had a slightly bigger budget, but it's like even more refined and like good looking. I'm not as big of a fan of of the story, but it's called After Midnight. It was uh, directed in 2019. It's kind of horror adjacent, kind of some romance, a little bit of comedy. Um, his his stamp that he puts on things, like how this you're talking about like how unique this film was he has he mm-hmm. has a, a certain flavor and like signature that you can identify but it's not over like a wes anderson film or something like that. yeah that's just what i was thinking yeah he, he's but he has a very unique style but uh yeah he's he's known for this and i think too like uh he's like a bartender in the south like florida i think he's a florida interesting man, and he just tends bar and he like it seems like he scrapes up enough and he like works with certain people and ha- develops a story and makes a film. And then he's also an actor in like a couple things. Um, he was in a Shutter original, but it, it seems like a, a very strange, like he's, he's able to just kind of pop in and out and do these like passion indie project kind of things. And then goes back to a normal nine to five and then kind of flits in and out. But, I looked up his IMDb and yeah, he's got, he's got quite a few different projects. And then I looked up the IMDb for the guy who plays Mickey and he doesn't have quite as, quite as many. So I ended up looking him up just out of curiosity. And I guess he's like a realtor in Manhattan or huh. in New York area. Crazy. It was like, the, it was like the top Google result. Like, Oh wow. Yeah. That looks exactly like the same guy. So huh? good for him. Yeah. Yeah, so these are kind of just like all, I think one of the cinematographer he's like mainly he's like he he's a food photographer by trade and he mm. just he knows his way around a camera, you know, and like so it's like yeah, they got these people that kind of like have these different side talents and they threw together a movie. Um yeah, so knowing all that, that yeah. makes it even more impressive to me. Yeah, I guess that dude Jeremy Gardner, he it's stated that he borrowed, uh, what was it? He borrowed 600 bucks from 10 of his friends. That's how like you arrive at the $6,000. Yeah. And one of those, yeah, 600 bucks for the car, you know, how much was the camera? Yeah. It was probably a friends, you know, that like that 
dude who did the cinematography and just brought his, like his equipment. Um, well, another, only, I guess it only talking, took him like two weeks. Yeah, fifteen days, fourteen days to film this thing. That's crazy. Yeah, that's like the bare essentials, going by the skinnier teeth, like just just doing it. Well, and, and one of the things I read was that like not a lot of the scenes were even planned in advance. They kind of just were winging a lot of it, which that's just, yeah, that's so crazy to me. Yeah. Yeah. That is wild to have something so cohesive. And I mean, to me, I feel like it had, it had a lot of heart too. And it felt, it felt genuine, you know, and it it felt like uh, this could, I could see this going down like, like realistically, like this is how it might, play out or at least more realistically than we've seen in any other kind of media when it comes to like any kind of apocalypse but zombie apocalypse but um yeah right, and I like two I, guys who who aren't even really friends that kind of just end up together yeah they're just thrown together and you got to fucking make the best of it and you're going to learn about them along the way but you're also learning like a different side of them probably too like the side that has to exist in this weird fucking scenario too, you know? Um, yeah, it seems like, I, and another thing I did like too is how the, it just kind of goes into a cold open. I really loved the beginning mm-hmm. scene of him just like, he's sitting out ripping a heater in front of this house. And he's got the headphones mm-hmm. on with a really dope song, whatever that is. And then it just cuts straight to like, get the fuck out. And he like, he shoots a gun inside this house and then they're off. And then, and then it's opening credits. So I like how it just, yeah, it just drops you right in this world and then you're off and then you start kind of, there's not a ton of exposition. Like they don't go back and they don't have a, around the campfire, like, oh yeah, when it all went down and, you know, and explain like the mechanics of, it was Boston that got hit first or New York fell. And then I like how it's just, you're there and you're, you're just, you're just, you, you got on the bus stop and you get off at the yeah. next stop, you know, and that's, that's the story. So I like that a lot too. Yes. Um, I, I agree a hundred percent because there's so much, uh, what's the word I'm thinking of? Like there's so much, uh, room for it to get super cheesy and corny to have one of those overly explicit explanations of what happened, like how they got there. It's like, don't even address it. We can, we can, we can do the math and figure out what happened yeah. and sprinkle in some details here and there, but it's like, you don't need to overly explain how you got your supplies, like where you got the gun. Like, right. We'll, we can figure it out. We can, we can mentally keep up, you know, let's just keep the thing moving along. And then I guess that's probably a good jumping off point just to give a quick synopsis. Um, if you couldn't already infer zombie apocalypse happens, we're in like the new England area, which I, th- I thought was kind of an interesting, uh, setting. Uh, but it's these two dudes who I'm assuming like some kind of traveling or some kind of minor league baseball team. Uh, they were teammates. And, uh, so we got Ben, the bearded, uh, dude and Mickey, uh, kind of the, the more clean cut younger kid who's a little bit more the softy. Yeah, wet around the ears. Um, yeah, the man up. They're just crisscrossing the back roads of Connecticut, which it was filmed on location. I don't, I couldn't find where. I was curious 
really curious to see whereabouts, but um, uh, yeah, they're just kind of making their way across this this new landscape. And they do drop a couple hints about timing, like remember three months ago, and like this when we we're. It sounds like they were in Massachusetts, and they were they were holed up in a house in Pittsfield, Massachusetts, for like three months, probably when all the shit hit the fan, and that's why the main character Ben doesn't like to be, you know. He doesn't like to stay in one spot for too long. I think later on he even likens it to, he's like, we're like sharks now. He's like, we're always moving, yeah. always, you know, going on the next thing. If we stop and we stay still, we die, you know, like. So he had a bad experience, like, being holed up in a house, whereas Mickey is more, he's the softer of the two gentlemen, and he's he's still, like, hasn't given up hope, I don't think. He's still clawing back for, like, the idea of, the power is going to go back on one day and he'll get to sleep in a bed and inside a house where, whereas Ben is a much more practical of the two and like realizes, you know, like even if that did happen, yeah, he... we'll probably be dead and gone before that ever things ever turn a corner of any kind. So yeah, he hasn't, he hasn't quite accepted the reality of the situation. You know, he's like looking at pictures of his dead girlfriend. It's like, dude, you gotta just, you gotta move on. You can't just be sniffing her underwear or whatever he was doing. Yeah. And he's always buried in his headphones. He's like, there's a couple scenes where it shows how like OCD is about his batteries. And like, that's probably the first thing he looks for when they're, when they come along to a new house and they have to scout for supplies. You'd be thinking like water and like the necessities. I bet the first thing he's looking for is pilfering through remotes and shit for batteries, you know? Um, mm -hmm. which I think that like the main theme throughout this is, is maybe not the main theme, but, uh, throughout the film, Ben is actively trying to like toughen him up and like yeah. get him used to the, the idea that he's like, I'm not always going to fight your battles and like be able to like do these things cause you, you're taking them for granted. Um, and like always well, yeah, because he, he like zombies. opens that notebook at one point where he keeps track of all those zombies he's yeah. killed. And he's got like, what, 50 or something on the board? And the yeah. other column, the dude has zero. It's like, Jesus, yeah. dude, that guy. Talk about dead weight. Yeah, I actually, I this was the first time I picked up on that. I was like, oh, shit. Because, yeah, it says he has two columns, B for Ben and M for Mickey. And he's making all these check marks. And, yeah, my count was like it had to have been anywhere between, like, 50 and 100 or something like verified yeah. zombie kills he's going over which is like i like how they slipped that into like to just all these things that add up to where you can see the difference between the two characters you know um and i mean the the most extreme example or part of that is when ben gets like a half dead zombie and ties him up and just throws him in a fucking room while Mickey's yeah. sleeping and just like forcing him to pull the trigger. And it seemed like it, I remember the first, the first couple times, cause I didn't remember the first watch super clear, but it seemed like that was going to be a point that was going to like divide them. And the story was going to kind of branch off from those two, or it was going to be, but actually now watching it again, I feel like that that brought them closer as much as the softy probably wouldn't, uh, admit to that because from then on there he he becomes more it's like it's it's added a callus you know to him like he's like yeah maybe he was right or 
even though it's a pretty fucked up thing to do, um, I feel like they come a, they be they become a little bit closer from that experience throughout the rest of the film. Yeah, yeah, I think it was it was definitely like, look, it's time for you to break through and get your first one, but also like, this is why we don't stay in houses. Yeah, <laughs> you know. Yeah, it was and definitely then... it was a dual purpose thing for sure. Yeah. Well, and I think in the next scene, or maybe a couple scenes later, he's fishing, which early on he didn't want to learn how to fish. So I feel like that was that was done intentionally to be like, all right, he's he's coming around and like listening and right, you know. And they have that fun montage in the field where they they find an apple orchard and they're going nuts, just like taking bites off of apples, and then they start. Pl- they have a little bit of BP with apples and it's like a fun little montage thing. And I, I think that was a good choice because I think the ending, uh, spoiler alert, if you haven't seen this, watch it. Um, it makes the, it feels realer that like they've made, they've actually, cause before that point, it's very much like out of necessity. And you can tell that Mickey, the softy doesn't really care for, Ben, he thinks he's just like some sloppy, like Neanderthal that's just like, I'm glad he's on my side kind of thing. But other than that, fuck this guy. I think they come together. And then so that makes that part where he gets bit and Ben has to fucking shoot him. That that feel that felt very real and like tense, like emotional scene that I, I appreciated. I wasn't expecting that because yeah. some of the tone in this movie kind of hops around a little bit and it's like jokey, kind of funny and doesn't take itself too seriously. But then that part, it's like, whoa, it's like shit just got real, you know, like I thought it was super well acted too. that that last scene when he gets back in through the sunroof and he's like drooling and shit and he's crying and he he, he knows like he's fucked. Yeah, well, and he kind of had that look like he didn't. He like sat down like nothing was wrong, and he's like, "Well, did you get the keys?" And he just like kind of turns and looks around, and I was expecting him to hold up the keys, like "Got the keys," you know. Yeah. But instead, he just turns around and like holds up his hand, like, "Oh, you're fucked." Yeah. 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 So when when they were talking to the gal on the walkie-talkie, God, he was being such a bitch. Yeah. Uh, and she mentioned something about like the orchard or whatever is what they call their homestead or wherever they are right so then when they when they get to that apple orchard or whatever i was like oh shit maybe this is the orchard where they are and maybe they'll run into each other but that that didn't end up up happening but and then i also thought when they were stuck in the car i thought she was going to come back and like check on them and Mm -hmm. Sort of, sort of rescue him or whatever, but that didn't happen either. So th- there were definitely a few points where I, I thought I knew what was going to happen, and then it just did not happen that way. So the guy, the guy whose car they find, who's run out of gas, and he like holds the knife. That part was awesome. Yeah. But that guy looks so familiar to me. I was googling him forever because I don't know if I saw him in like a commercial for something. Mm-hmm. But he, he, there was just something about his face. I, I, I know I'm. I know him from somewhere, or maybe he just looks like somebody that looks really familiar to me, but I probably spent most of my time researching this movie, just looking up who is this guy. Yeah. <laughs> I, I couldn't, I couldn't find anything helpful at all. Yeah. He's a very generic looking 
like American suburban like dad, prototypical like white goofy dad that wears knee high white socks and arrow yeah. marks. Um Yeah, definitely a goof. Yeah, I, I like uh I like how they didn't uh stay in one place for too long and they kinda kept hopping around at different scenarios. Uh, it felt nice and fresh because there's there's some spots too where, it, I mean they're mainly kind of traipsing through cross crisscrossing through the forest and like parks and stuff which it actually does make sense he's like I think Ben mentions that too like you know I didn't say there wouldn't wouldn't be any monsters or anything out here but there'd be less of them which makes sense like the food sources humans they're gonna be attracted to or congregate to major urban centers so um but there are scenes like where they they i'm sure they had to go out on the open road for supplies or cigarettes or whatever and they like they stop at a hotel and they kill a couple zombies and um yeah i don't i don't even remember them saying the z word in this film i think there's one point where ben calls them and he's like i didn't think we were gonna be surrounded by fucking monsters or something like that so i i like that aspect of it too how they didn't well, yeah, there's that part where they're drinking, and he's like, say it. <laughs> oh, yeah, 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 yeah. When they get shit-faced in the back of the car. <laughs> he's like, say it. <laughs> I guess they actually got they actually got shit-faced for that scene, and there's some stuff I could, that... I could see that. Yeah. Because it seems pretty the, realistic. The nature of the film and, and how they shot it and everything. There's, I guess, they, they're... I, I really want to get it now. They ha- a, a Scream Factory put out a, a Blu-ray of this film, and it with the film comes. Uh, it's a 90-minute documentary, um, same length as the movie, about the making of it, like shooting it on a shoestring budget. And so, I wish I would have had that and been able to watch it in anticipation of recording on this, because I'm sure there was a lot of cool shit in that too. But um, yeah, they called it, it, what was it, uh, I think you would appreciate it, it was, it's the documentary that accompanies the film is called The Tools of Ignorance, uh, a documentary of, uh, about the making of the battery. Do you, have you heard that? I know you're, Steve's a baseball guy, by the way, too, student of the game, fan, have you ever heard of that before, Tools of Ignorance? Yeah, I think, I think that's what they call like catcher's gear, the tools yeah. of ignorance. Yep. I found it was, it was coined by, and I bet Dick would know this, uh, oh. by <laughs> Harold Muddy Rule, played from 1915 to 1934. He, he coined the term tools of ignorance to point out the irony that a player with the intelligence needed to be effective behind the plate would be fool, foolish enough to play a position that required so much safety equipment. How fun! That is fun, and yeah, I'm a big baseball fan, so that was that was a nice little touch. What'd you and think? Yeah, I didn't realize the battery aspect. Did did that jump out to you seeing the like the baseball bat and and seeing all their their ball players and like oh it's the battery the bat the catcher. Well, I saw when I first read the brief little description because I like to go into this kind of thing with as little information as possible. Like I don't like to watch previews or. Right. Or even read like a brief synopsis or whatever. But yeah, the description said something about 
like a pitcher and a catcher. And so I was like, oh, yeah, because that's what they call a battery. It's like the pitcher and catcher. Yeah, and I think I think one or both of them actually played baseball in college. I read. Yeah, the dude Mickey played baseball in college. I couldn't get, I couldn't find diddly poo about that. <laughs> um, but yeah, that was another fun piece of tri- trivia. And that dude Jeremy Gardner, who plays Ben, is an avid baseball fan as well. He's a huge. Uh, we'll have to forgive him of this, but he's a huge uh, Atlanta Braves fan. Yeah, that's okay. If I mean, I mean, the late '80s to like mid to almost late '90s, there was a lot of cool. There's a lot of players I respected from like that era. That was like my prime time of baseball watching and knowledge is like '89 to like '97, '98. They had they had some really good teams during that that run, and yeah, I mean, I think Greg Maddox is probably one of, if not Mm -hmm. my favorite baseball player of all time so yeah i get that especially if he's if he's a guy in the south i mean it's either that or he's a marlins fan and they're Ugh. they're shit and they weren't around probably for his childhood either yeah yeah they had some greats man i always liked they always seem kind of scrappy like i love i love tony pendleton uh that's like one of my they had, third baseman of all time otis uh, even even more than chipper yeah, I mean, chipper's chipper, but I. You seem like more of a John Rocker kind of guy. Oh no, get out of here! That goes. <laughs> but yeah, Smoltz, Smoltz, Glavin, Maddox. Yeah, I always forget about chipper. Tom Glavin. I, I was yeah. doing research. Crafty. On this, I was like, oh yeah. Crafty lefty. Who else? Otis Nixon, Mark Lemke played second base. Javi Lopez, uh, Fred McGriff. Yeah, I mean, they for Calaraga. that decade, they had so many good players. Sid Bream. I always loved Otis Nixon. That might have you might have been too young for him. Do you remember him? Uh, I know the name, but I don't. I don't know him. Super wiry center fielder, like prototypical leadoff number two guy. Super fast. Uh, he was just a gamer. Um, yeah, I was more of like the the David Justice yeah. era, and Andrew Jones, and yep, yeah. Who else did but, they have? What was the other guy? Klesko and Ryan Klesko. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that's one of the teams I like. I I didn't like, but I respected. Like a lot of those players, like I feel like they uh, they played the game the right way, or you know, like, yeah, they just. They uh they had something about them, but anyway, um, for all the non-baseball fans, I thought that was fun, and you would, I thought that would be the biggest thing that would carry you through if you did like this film with how because how much you like baseball, and I feel like it's sincere, even though it's not mm-hmm. beating you over the head, even just like come on, let's go have a catch, you know, and like, you know, the interplay between a catcher who seemed like a salty, you know like vet and then this guy who's like i don't know probably a reliever coming in from the bullpen they probably didn't interact right. very much and show them kind of navigate this this landscape together um yeah and especially for young guys the the catcher is going to be the one calling the shots in yeah. charge 
you know, like, it, you know, it's like in Bull Durham, you know, the catcher's sort of like, and it's not always true, but the catcher's certainly like the quarterback out there, you know, he's the one calling right. the game. He's the one that'll go out to the mound if the pitcher's rattled and be like, hey, get your shit together. Or, you know, because depending on the type of person the pitcher is, you could go out there and be like, you're good, man. You're, you're good. You're great. You're, you're fantastic. Just throw it well. Or you could go out there and be like, pull your head out of your fucking ass. Yeah. You know, you have to, you have to manage your pitchers, different personality types. So it makes sense that he would be the one in the movie. who's like in charge. Like, Nope, this is what we're doing. Yeah. Quit your bullshit and listen to me. You are a coward. Son of a bitch. I liked to like the whole battery aspect. And then like, I, I did some research about that, uh, on like why it was coined. So a little piece of trivia about, uh, that is, I guess, the use of the word battery in baseball was coined by Henry Chadwick in the 1860s in reference to the firepower of a team's pitching staff and inspired by the artillery batteries then in use in the American Civil War. Uh, later, the term evolved to indicate the combined effectiveness of pitcher and catcher. And then even more interestingly, I guess pre-1960, so like 1860 or 1890 to 1960, there it was way more prevalent of having um, a pitcher and catcher duo, or like mm-hmm. a pitcher who was very particular about this guy's gonna catch me versus like mm-hmm. oh, no, this is our starter, and you can see like it's a it's like it falls off of a cliff after like 1960, like of that even existing, and I thought it was interesting. It was. Um, I think in the late 60s, early 70s, uh, fuck is his name. I can't remember the pitcher, but uh, it was for the St. Louis Cardinals. And some. Uh, it was Bob Boone, father of Aaron Boone. Um, okay. Was, he, was, he was like an all-star catcher in the late 60s and early 70s. And, but this, for whatever reason, I think it was Steve Garvey. He preferred Tim McCarver, who calls games now. This probably you'll that name probably jumps out to you, but um, I think he's dead now. Did he? Okay. Well, he would only pitch to him, which I thought was kind of interesting because that's like really the only blip, the only other uh, uh, incidents that I saw, and it makes sense is um, knuckleballers are very yeah can be very particular i was gonna say yeah because catching a knuckleball is tough uh tim mccarver not dead just confirmed but yeah you you do see it very very rarely these days uh like i remember a couple years ago there was a a specific pitcher for the giants who later on in his career he preferred a certain catcher but i think that might have had more to do with he was sort of in the twilight of his career. And I think him and the everyday catcher didn't exactly see eye to eye. So I think in his mind, it was, it was because the, his, his lack of performance was because of the catcher. So he wanted this other guy to catch for him. Mm-hmm. But you, I have, I, I can think of a couple times where in the last 10 or 15 years, a guy gets traded a pitcher and then they also go and pick up his preferred catcher because they just work really well together and yeah because when you when you see a pitcher and catcher who are not on the same page (laughs) it's it's not good because why the hell is he shaking me off yeah i mean you see the guy who's just shaking over and over and over again and um 
Yeah, there, there has to be a, a good amount of chemistry between the two if they're going to be successful for a bunch of reasons that would probably be boring to the average listener. But yeah, yeah, you probably don't see it. Well, I know you don't see it anymore now because of the price tag, probably that are tied to your starter. Whereas in back of those days, I mean, I think the stakes were way lower. Players were play, paid way less. And there wasn't such a magnifying glass on like marquee players, you know? So if you had. Yeah, and, and free agency wasn't a thing back yeah. then. So, I mean, you see guys now, they'll play for 10 teams before they retire. And back then, you just you didn't see a guy change teams. Right. So, you know, they, they got to know each other better and they played together longer. And yeah, so. Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah. So very uh, authentic kind of feel to it. I like the the baseball influence that kind of permeates the flick. Uh, oh, yeah, a couple more pieces of trivia. So the when they're getting shit-faced in the car uh, or when they're, when they're trapped in the car for God knows how long, uh, the bottle in the urine – or the bottle of urine in the car was filled with real pee. Um, oh, nice. The engine of that Volvo station wagon died during the shooting of the movie. Fortunately, this was towards the end in the scenes where Ben and Mickey are trapped in the car, surrounded by zombies. So the station wagon was put in neutral and rolled onto someone's driveway at the end of the day's shooting. I wonder how oh, much nice. of that was like if they changed or altered the story because like you said they went into this with like six thousand bucks and a crew small crew and didn't really have anything plotted out and they just shot and they kind of made it up as they went along i wonder how much of that uh dictated influenced why the last like 25 minutes it feels like are just in the back of the car with nothing going on yeah and when he and when uh when mickey went out to go get the keys how do you not tear the fucking blankets off the windows to be able to see like what's going on out there where is he at does are yeah. is he getting attacked right now or i don't know I don't, that that might be the only part of the movie that i was like take the fucking blankets off the windows god yeah. damn it chase what the fuck were you thinking about here well i mean i could buy that like what if you didn't want to see him getting ripped apart and shit and like maybe just out of well you gotta know when he's coming back do you have time to open the window for him or yeah that's true that I think that's one of the pieces that falls apart for me at the end is, um, well, A, I think the length of time that they stay in the car, they could they could have trimmed that out. It would have felt, I would have enjoyed that more because um, on this watch, I, that, def, that part definitely drug on for me. But also, too, like, after he goes out and dies, it's like, it's like oh, I can just get out. You know, like, or I'm gonna. Yeah, and, and what was what was like sitting there about that... it for like 15 more minutes? Yeah, and it's like, well, and why was he tearing that baseball apart? I thought he was gonna make some sort of weapon or something using the string, or but it kind of just showed him tearing it apart. Did I miss something? Am I stupid or no? And I was as I was watching it, I was like, what is that for? And then, yeah, I don't know. I thought he was, was going to use it to like set fire or something, make some sort of Molotov cocktail or something with the liquor. Or... Yeah, I don't know. 
now that now that you say that. Maybe it was to like reinforce because he got shot in the fucking leg. Maybe it was yeah. to reinforce or cinch up for circulation. I don't know, but it was funny when she shoots him and then just throws the keys in the bushes. Like, well, you could have just done that and not shot him. Yeah, it's like, dude. Yeah, when that happened, I was like, ah, oh, fuck, that sucks. Well, and she, because from her point of view, it's like, well, I have to shoot you because you know about the orchard. But then she makes a comment like, it's not what you think it is. Well, it's like, okay, your partner is standing right next to you. So if if you're worried about being in cahoots with these other dudes, like, well, he's there too. So it would either be like, well, you're fucked either way, or this guy doesn't care also. So you didn't really need to shoot my buddy in the leg and then throw our keys. You could have just been like, don't follow us or they'll kill you. Yeah. I guess that's subjective too, though, because he seemed like a dumb meathead. Like, he might be just waiting for a chance to screw her over or something, but any hoodles. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think uh, that's about all I got for this yeah. one. But I'm glad you liked it. I did. I didn't think, I wasn't sure. There were parts, I, I think going into it, like, oh, yeah, the battery, zombies, it's different baseball i think i'll like it and then as i was going through my rewatch i was like ah, i can see like there'd be problems here like where it like kind of drags a little bit but i don't know i i think it's i mean like you said especially knowing that they did this on a shoestring budget uh but even like just thinking about the fact that these are a bunch of no names you know and like right. it's an indie flick but it has such a high i feel like it had a really high quality of like like the acting felt real um yeah and i think the way they shot it i mean some of that stuff was real like them getting drunk in the car and like i'm sure some of a lot of that had to come out by virtue of not knowing what you're going to shoot like i wonder how how um real them getting on each other's nerves would be in that kind of a shoot gorilla style so i don't know it just i I feel very real I feel like this wouldn't be complete without talking about the the master the biggest the yeah the biggest what the fuck moment yeah. <laughs> when yeah I was like are you kidding me what are you doing yeah <laughs> and his reaction's and I, perfect too <laughs> yeah like, what the fuck are you doing oh man. That I love was... I love that part too. Uh, what what does he say? Like right he he's so Mickey is in the Volvo that they've put down the seats and so it's like a bed they can sleep on. Ben's out doing something, fishing or something, getting firewood, and uh, Mickey's just sitting. He's as usual. He's got his headphones on. He's just spacing out, ripping a heater indoors in the Volvo, and then he's startled. Because a zombie chick, who's like, you know, in her 20s probably, bangs against the fucking car. And uh, so it startles him. He wakes up. And the first thing he says, he gets up. And he's all, he's like, no, 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 no. Shut up. Shut up. Like, he's <laughs> 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 telling it to shut up. I guess maybe well, and... like he would, it would bring other zombies, like the noise factor. But I just thought it was funny. Like that was his first reaction was to tell it to shut up. 
And then his next reaction yeah. is like, oh, fuck, I can squeeze one out to, like, something that's alive, technically. Yeah, I like that he wakes up, doesn't realize Ben is gone, looks around, and there's the note that's like, went fishing, don't die. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then, yeah, when he comes back and shoots her, he's like, oh, I'll come back. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, yeah, you finish up. Get, I'll be back. Yeah, that that was <laughs> that was super funny yeah. and bizarre, but yeah, that's like one of those little things in it that was like, that like lended you know that uniqueness to the film. Like, yeah. I probably wouldn't have gone with that choice, but I think it still fits in the film. I, well, one of the one of the little bits of trivia I saw, I don't know if you saw it too, but that was originally supposed to be like an attempted rape scene. Like oh, Jesus. Jeez. Like rape a zombie? I guess. I mean, I have to assume that that so would have been after reading that it's like, oh, yeah, well, thankfully they just ratcheted it down to this weird jerk-off scene. Yeah. Yeah, that was uh, a good call. Whoever the no man was on that idea well i don't know if you saw the in the credits i had to look back again because it it went by so fast it's uh she's listed as fresh slut zombie in the credits nice (laughs) yeah imagine like going to uh, an audition yeah (laughs) and you have to list your credits you're like oh i was in that movie the battery i played one of the zombies like oh oh nice i've seen that which one uh, yeah, you know, just the fresh slut one. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, I don't think I have anything else for this one. This is kind of a one and done. If you like this kind of flavor, you might like um, After Midnight, also by Jeremy Gardner. Um, there's another one I've been meaning to watch of his. I think it's like Tex Montana Won't Die. Or, oh yeah, I tech... saw something like that. Yeah, this guy too. He he looks very much like a uh, like uh, Ron Swanson's younger uh-huh. brother. That's who I yep. got some Nick Offerman vibes for sure. I, I definitely was as well. Um, yeah, it's called. There's another one he made. He followed this up, the battery up with Tex Montana will su- will survive, and that dude who plays Mickey's in it. Uh, Christian Stella oh, nice. also co-directed it, who was the cinematographer. So he has like three or four buddies that he's worked on on like virtually all of his projects, I think. Um, but I will say, yeah, After Midnight, made in 2019, is definitely his most polished uh, project to date. But I think the battery, for me, is, is the one I'll always look to or recommend right off the bat. Um Cause I think you can like, you don't even necessarily have to be into horror, especially at least of which zombies, because this is very much not about that. Um, to me. Uh, yeah, for sure. And it's, it's kind of a cool, like slow burn, you know, it's not like, cause one of the things I don't like about the kind of modern horror movie style that we've talked about is it's just super high intensity, you know, jump scaring and it's like, it's like they just, they just try to ratchet it up to make it more intense where like those older, those older horror movies or older zombie movies, it's like creepier that it's slower because it's not, you know, it, 
the tension is building instead of like driving a hundred miles an hour the whole time where it just drains you that way. When it goes slow, it's kind of, it's just a different flavor that I, that I prefer. So. Yeah. Instead of seeing like a tsunami of zombies and the fast aggressive ones that fucking can run like cheetahs and shit. Yeah. Yeah. I th- I think this is a this is a good uh, summer watch too because it, it kind of you got the baseball thing and you know going well, through and the you had said, forest. And... You had said the the story was a, adapted from a short story that was written by Stephen King's son. Is that right? No, that's Black Phone. Black. Oh shit. Okay. Yeah. Because I was gonna say when I saw this was set, it's funny because you and I were just talking about that movie yesterday, and I must have juxtapose them together because yeah when you were talking about new england i was like well yeah of course it's set in new england everything fucking stephen king says is in new england (laughs) but uh yeah that's that's completely unrelated but yeah i think i'm gonna go see the black phone later this evening so yeah i've been hearing really good things and i'm a sucker for ethan hawk i like everything that he's been a part of i think he's a good actor and i like joe hill so i didn't i didn't watch the I didn't watch the preview. I, I know almost nothing about it. I did see a trailer for it in Top Gun, but it was like 30 seconds, and it was just a phone ringing, and literally that's it. Huh. So it didn't tell you anything about the story. So I was asking my old lady if she wanted to go and watch it too, and so she's watching a preview over in the other room. She's like, it, even the preview was horrifying, so she's not going to go. <laughs> <laughs> really? That's crazy. It didn't look super horrifying to me, but... I mean, maybe she knows. She, she's got to be in. She's got to be in the right mood to watch a scary movie. Yeah. I mean, otherwise I guess she'll I make me s- sit in the sit in the. Otherwise, I'll have to sit in the bathroom with her while she's taking a shower because she gets <laughs> skewed. <laughs> you can't close your eyes when you're getting the shampoo out. <laughs> like if you're gonna get killed by a ghost or something, there's nothing that me sitting here is gonna do. But right. Sure. They'll just go right through you. Well, uh, yeah. This is a good good summer watch, I feel. I like it a lot. But oh yeah, dude, uh Ethan Hawk, real quick. Have you seen uh The Good Lord Bird? I think that's what it's called. It's a limited series nope. on Showtime. Never even heard of it. Oh man. It's so good. It's uh I think it's a dramatic What's it called? Uh, the The Good Lord Bird. Yeah, so it's a self-contained, like, limited series. I think it's, like, eight episodes, ten episodes from 2020. It's on Showtime. Uh, hmm. Ethan Hawke's the main dude. It's fucking excellent. It's so good. It's got a good revenge vibe. Uh, yeah, it's awesome. I think you'd like it a lot. Knowing that you you like a good Western, I think, like, Tombstone. It's definitely more do like a good Western definitely more gritty than uh uh tombstone but yeah that's a super strong recommend a dramatic and historical tapestry of antebellum america that doesn't that doesn't antebellum means before the civil war is that right does that mean after the civil war yeah yeah because anti means after yeah yeah i think it takes place right after the civil war does it yeah so you're dealing with like um like the fallout of the Confederates losing, but then it it wasn't like an overnight thing when when slaves were you know like 
whisked away and like everything was all better you know so it's kind of in this like gray area like a paradigm antebellum antebellum means before a particular war thank you fuck (laughs) you had a 50 50 chance (laughs) fortune favors the bold so okay it's right before that so tensions Ah. are high either way yep Uh, all right, uh, let me get my foot out of my mouth. and But yeah, check that out. It's fucking awesome. Uh, all right, I think that's going to do it for us, covering the battery. If anybody hasn't seen the battery and listened to this, I still think it's worth a watch. It's a fun, it's a good time. It is a slow burn, but I, I like the kind of slow burn that it is. Uh, it's, I, I liked the first the 75% slow burnness. The last quarter, I thought, was just a little slow, but... Yeah. Six thousand bucks, man. I cannot imagine anybody making a better movie for six thousand bucks. So yeah. hats off to them. Yeah. If you're looking for real estate in New York, look up what's his bucket. Adam Kronheim, I believe. Um cool. So yeah. Uh if anybody has any questions or let us know what you think about the battery. Great film or the greatest film. I think it stands like you stack it up even against, you know, any other big budget like zombie flick to me, it'll always be like when somebody's asking what's a good zombie movie, not even like what's, what's like a, an indie one or one's what, what's an, what's a zombie mover that that's kind of like a departure from like mainstream zombie. Sure. I would always go battery, watch the battery first. Um, which is probably sacrilege when you're thinking about like night of the living dead and all that kind of stuff. But, whatever um yeah let us know send us an email if you like the film um or any other questions in general you can reach us at wax at waxing or hit us up on one of our socials uh instagram waxing the porpoise or twitter at waxing the porp um what do you think for next episode do you want to go back to the wheel and sure try maybe pick something at random yeah let's do it I know this was supposed to be kind of like a selling point or like a a part of the the novelty with this show, but the reality of trying to do that and like, oh fuck, now I have to research this for a week and stay on schedule has proved taxing. Um, sure. Sure. Yeah, great, grand, wonderful. <laughs> uh, no, no yelling, yelling on, on the, bus. the bus. All right. Let's see. Okay, so the randomizer's giving us movie, so we'll go back to movie. Uh, Highlander failed recording, so that's a, that's not in the running. Let's see. And we'll be watching Chinatown. Woo! <laughs> that's going to be a good one. I can't wait. This isn't really a deep cut, but I think it's so old and... Uh, Roman Polanski's kind of got a stain on him that I don't think it's as talked about, at least nowadays. Um, so for a younger generation that's never seen it too, uh, this will be, this is an excellent film. Some say maybe the greatest film, one of the greatest films ever made. Uh, it's from 1974. Dude, this is one that really like, when I watched it, it fucking, it kind of blew me away. 
And I was, huh. this I, was at I know a, nothing about it. It was kind of a turning point for me. Cause I think of like, before this point, anything before like 1978, I was like, you know, jaded, like younger generation right. type person. Like, yeah, fuck those old movies. I think automatically like black and white and boredom. And, and long. Like, yeah. I don't <laughs> want any part of that, but this is, this was like a turning point when I saw it, I was like, Oh, it's like shit. That's old can be cool or like poignant or like having a fucking okay. hard, ed- hard edge on it, you know, like, so this is it. Yeah. This is definitely one that took me like, okay, I need to start watching some of these like seminal, some of these older flicks, which I'm glad I did. So uh, Jack Nicholson now or 1974. Yep. He is a young ass <laughs> buck in this film that, that just seeing him act and being the way he is at like, I don't know. He's gotta be like early thirties when this was made. It's, it's pretty interesting, but, um, Damn, cool. so that means he's in his 80s now? Wow. Yeah, he's fucking old, man. Let's see when he was born, Jack Nicholson. He was born in 1937. God damn! <laughs> <laughs> so he was... So that means fucking... he's, what, 85? Uh, yeah, 85. So when this Depending made, on when his birthday is. April 22nd. So yeah, so 85. Aries. Maybe a cancer. Um... 37, 74, so he was what, 40? Did you just ask what his astrological sign was? <laughs> fucking your, loser. What's your moon? What's your rising? <laughs> um, so yeah, it looks like he was... At least you didn't do that thing where you're like, oh, he's an Aries. That makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay. Cool. So yeah, next, next time we'll be talking about Chinatown. Uh, it's on HBO Max right now. Uh, I think that's the only place oh, for nice. free streaming. Um, Sweet. Cool. So until next time, uh, thanks for joining us on this one. Don't be afraid to send us a review or a rating on any of the primary podcast platforms or podcatcher, as it were. Um, we'll check you guys next time. Thank you. Yours. <laughs> remember hearing that one. You're standing straight up and down like a wedding dick. Oh my god. Clean. Chase, what the fuck were you thinking about here?